Great. Good evening, everyone. So uh, if you weren't here last week, you may not know that we are in a series in John's Gospel. And uh, I'm really excited because we're going to take the whole of this term from last week, the beginning of January, right through to Easter, in fact, and a little bit beyond to journey the whole way through this amazing gospel. And we've called this gospel Abundant Life. And we've actually got a slide which is going to come up, if that's all right, um, which just explains what we're going to think about tonight, which is this, abundant faith, looking at these verses that we've just read in John chapter 2. And I want to begin with a question. And uh, we're at the beginning of the year, just about. And so my question to you as we think about these verses tonight is this. What are you expecting Jesus to do in and through you this year? What are you expecting Jesus to do in and through you this year? And I want to plant that question, just for you all call out, but just to plant that question in your minds and your hearts, and we're going to come back to it um, in, a, in a moment. One of the great joys of my job is leading weddings. I love leading weddings. There's something about the celebration and the fact that family and friends are coming together and in the church context that Jesus is at the very center of a, a wedding here or any church hopefully that makes it such a joy. And if you think about weddings you've been to whether it's a family wedding, a friend's wedding, maybe even your own wedding, you will know that they are joyful occasions. And Jesus clearly enjoyed celebrating as well. And we see that here in uh, John chapter 2. After all, weddings were his idea. And we read in the Gospels that Jesus likens himself to a bridegroom at times. And this miracle that we read about in Cana is a sign that points forward. And the word that John uses, in fact, is not miracle in his gospel. He uses the word sign because what he wants to say is that actually it's not just about the events themselves that take place, these miracles that Jesus is working, but they are pointing forward to someone and something even more important. And in John's gospel, there are seven of these signs that we will look at as we journey through his gospel, each one pointing towards Jesus in different ways. And I want to explain very briefly, um, if we took sort of three or four steps back, what is going on in John's gospel. So if you turn with me back to chapter one, which we looked at last week, if you weren't here, and um, in verse five of chapter one, we read these words, the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it, or as some translations say, overcome it. And if you look at the whole of John's gospel, you can almost cut it in half. And the first half of John's gospel is full of these signs, seven signs, that are like the light shining in the darkness. They are like shards of light showing God's goodness, the power of Jesus, shining into the lives of individuals in different ways, bringing light and the kingdom of God. And then the second half of John's gospel is very similar to the second half of that verse we've just read about the darkness trying to overcome 
the light. But it can't, because the light always wins. And so as we sort of hold this in our heads and hearts, and as we look at these verses, we realize that John chapter 2 and the whole of John's gospel is just packed with meaning and significance. And we're going to have a look at some of that this evening in relation to this sign that John has written for us about Jesus at the wedding. So what we read is about Jesus, he's coming from Galilee, he's going to a small village north of Nazareth. And it's important that we note about the location because because this uh, village Cana was so close to Nazareth, it meant that some of Jesus' family was able to be at the wedding. And we know that not all of them were there, but certainly his mother was present at the wedding. And if we think about weddings in first century Palestine, they were very different to a wedding that we may have in, in the UK today. And there's two particular differences. The first is that when a wedding was held in first century Palestine, the whole village would have been invited. So in Cana, everybody in the village of Cana was invited to be part of this celebration. The second difference is that the wedding would have gone on for a week or possibly more. And uh, we've got Lottie Joy, who's getting married here in just, I think, two weeks now. Is Lottie here? Lottie and Scott here? I don't think so. Fiona, their mum here? No, no. I was going to suggest that we invite the whole of Reading to her wedding and that actually it lasts for two or three weeks, but they probably wouldn't be up for that. So it's a good job they're not here. So um, the wedding was the pinnacle of celebration in first century Palestinian culture. And if a Jewish believer was to think about heaven or to think about the coming of the Messiah, then they would have thought about a celebration like a wedding. In fact, weddings were such a big deal that if something went wrong in the wedding, then it would have just brought shame and embarrassment onto the hosts of that wedding. And that is why there was such concern when this wedding in Cana ran out of wine. So what we read is that Mary turns to Jesus her son, and and tells him that there is no more wine. And we read in the passage we just read together, Jesus says in the NIV translation, woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Now we might think, that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? Jesus is calling his mother woman? I mean, is that an affectionate term? But in the original language that Jesus was using, it was a, a term full of respect, And whereas in the NIV, it it says here, um, Jesus says, my time has not yet come. In the original Greek, the word that is used there would be translated as hour rather than time. And this word hour appears 26 times in John's gospel. And it is pointing to the cross. Jesus is saying to his mother that his hour has not yet come. And interestingly, we only actually encounter Jesus' mother twice in John's Gospel, once at the cross and once here in Cana. And so again, this sign is pointing forward to Jesus being crucified and to his resurrection. 
But it also tells us far more than this. And so if you have a look in verse 6, what we read about are six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing. Now, these jars were big. Each one of them, we read, held about 20 gallons. So that's about 120 gallons of water or wine, which equates to about 546 litres. And if, like me, you're struggling to visualise, well, how much is this? It equates to about 700 bottles of wine. Imagine if I lined up 700 bottles of wine at the front here. This is the amount of water that Jesus is turning into wine. It is an abundance. And that's why one of the themes that runs through John's gospel, hence the the title of this series, is about abundance. Because Jesus is giving us a visual aid here and saying that what he has for you and for me is an abundance. 700 bottles of wine in vast jars. An abundance. And if we look back to the Old Testament and we think about the words that we can read, and you can look at these passages uh, later tonight or this week, Hosea chapter 2 and Amos chapter 9, we read about the day of the Lord. And what we read in these passages is that on the day of the Lord, when that day comes, there will be an abundance of wine in the land. And so Jesus is saying through this sign that the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord has come. But it's not just about quantity. It's not just about an abundance of wine. Because Jesus then says, well, go and fill to the servants. Go and fill these jars with water and then give some to the master of the banquet. And we know that the master of the banquet hadn't heard the conversation with Jesus or Mary. He, he was unaware of what had happened. And yet when he tries the wine, we read here, he says, you have saved the best wine until last, until now. Now, I know very little about wine. I am not a wine connoisseur. We probably have some of you here tonight who are. But I have done my research. And in my best French accent, I can tell you that Domaine de la Romane Conti Burgundy Côte de Nuit Red or rouge, I should say, from the year 2000, is one of the best bottles of wine you could buy. It's worth thousands of pounds per bottle. But it has nothing on this wine that Jesus produced at this wedding in Cana. The people at this wedding were amazed. They were in awe, astounded. Not just at the quantity and the quality But most importantly, because something that was hidden had just been revealed. The very revelation of God revealed at this wedding. Christ's glory revealed to humanity. Have a look back with me at um, verse 1 from John's Gospel. Verse 14, which we looked at last week. And we read this in the second half of verse 14 from chapter 1. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. This is a revelation of the glory of God. Because until that moment at the wedding, Jesus was, according to the disciples, just another rabbi. He was a godly, wise teacher. But everything changed at this wedding. Their eyes were opened. Heaven comes down to earth. The glory of God is revealed. And they see. They see Jesus for who he is. And these, these jars that are being used were jars that were used for purifying, cleaning the hands of Jewish believers before they ate. And as Jesus asked these jars to be filled with water and then turned into wine, what he's saying is, is no longer about having clean hands, but it is about having a clean heart and a clean mind, a clean life before God. It's about an inward transformation. And so Jesus is pointing forward to that cleansing, that purification that he will bring for you, for me, for all people as he goes to the cross. It is about Jesus bringing that abundant life and cleansing for you and me. Now there is also another level of meaning here in this text and that is that Jesus was sorting out a problem because as I mentioned for the hosts of this wedding they would have felt ashamed and embarrassed there was no more wine and Jesus knew that he saw that and he has compassion on them and so part of what is going on here is he is providing for them he cares for them in the same way that he cares for you That he wants to hear what you need, what you want. And if we look back, um, in fact you don't need to turn the page, again from chapter 1, verse 38. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, what do you want? And I wonder how you would answer that question tonight. What do you want? In your own life, your health, your your family, your friends, your work. In Reading, in, in the church, in the kingdom of God. What do you want? What is your heart's desire as you begin this new year, 2020? Jesus asked the same question to Bartimaeus, just outside of Jericho. What do you want? And what is really interesting to both of these questions, the answer is about seeing. It is about seeing who Jesus is. The revelation of God, that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the bread of life. He is the miracle worker that we've been singing about, the promise keeper. The light in the darkness. That as we see him, we would grow in intimacy with him. That we would grow in our trust of him. And in fact, this is the response to the sign here at this wedding. If you look in verse 11 of chapter 2. The response is one word. 
in chapter 2, verse 11. And the word is faith. Faith. We, we read that the, the disciples put their faith in Jesus. I was sharing with um, our staff team on Tuesday about a great missionary called John Patton. And John Patton was uh, a Scot. He was a missionary back in the 19th century. And he was also a very brave man of God because he was reaching out to a a group of men and women on uh, some small islands called the New Hebrides in the Pacific. And he was a brave man because these people that he was reaching out to were cannibals, which makes our encouragement to you to invite someone to Alpha a little more palatable, doesn't it, really? So John Patton was reaching out to these men and women on these islands, but he was really struggling because there was no word in the local language for faith, belief, or trust. And so he was wrestling for a couple of days, and he then had this idea, and I'm going to um, grab a, a visual aid if that's all right. So John Patton, sort of a couple of days later, grabbed this chair and he sat amongst the group of people he was reaching out to. And he sat in the chair and he put his legs up in the air. And he looked at them and he said, what am I doing? And the answer came back, one word that meant to lean your whole weight upon. And Patton sprung out of his chair and he said, that is it. That is what faith is. To lean your whole weight upon Jesus. And that is my prayer for us as individuals, as a community, as a church, New Hope and Greyfriars, that this year we would lean our entire weight upon Jesus. That we would press into him in new ways. That we would let go and trust him with everything that we've got. But you know, what we see here in this passage of scripture is the more we see Jesus' glory the more we discover faith. But we've actually got to look for Jesus' glory. We need to turn to him. We need to seek him and thirst and hunger after Jesus. And here in this encounter that Jesus has at the wedding, his mother Mary says these words. She says, do whatever Jesus tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. And these words have just been rattling around in my head and heart this week. That we would make sure that whatever we do this year, that we would be focused on doing what Jesus tells us to do. That we would be passionate about those things that he really cares about. That we'd be focused on on the lost and the broken and the least and the last. And that we would with everything we have got, turn to Jesus 
that we would press in in our relationship with him through prayer as we pray to Jesus, as we worship Jesus, as we follow Jesus, as we seek to reflect the glory of Jesus in this world. There's another great Christian who I want to briefly finish with, tell you about Corrie ten Boom. If you have never read anything by Corrie ten Boom, please pick it up and read it. An amazing woman of faith. She was Dutch. She was imprisoned in one of the concentration camps in Germany during World War II. And she said this, faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. It sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. And so I ask you again, what are you expecting Jesus to do in you and through you this year? Would you like to stand, please? We're going to pray together.